Hello and welcome to another episode of Study of X, the uh, bi-weekly X-Men podcast where we cover the Crackwood era of X-Men comics. Uh, this week we are covering X-Factor number one, Giant Size Magneto number one, and Cable number two. I'm your host Tim and with me as always is... Sergio. That's me. You got it. Yep. That, that's that's it. That's the name. And Chris. That's me. You also got that one correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happens. It's it's been a little bit. I kind of forgot how we did introductions. It's Saturday. Yeah. Uh, no, it's Sunday. Uh, it's, it's not even Saturday. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're we're all a little sleepy. You know, yeah, a little it's, tired. It's a little uh, little scattered. Rare rare weekend recording. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it'll be a fun time. We have a new series starting up, another giant size, and we're back into Cable, which is a really fun one this time. Yeah. Yeah. So Let's look forward to it. Yeah. Kind of a mouthful, these, these issues, too. Yeah, the, yes. there, there's a lot, of, a lot of dialogue, especially in X-Factor. Yes. Yeah, X-Factor kind of picks up uh, for Magneto, because there's a good chunk of that, that there's really not a lot of dialogue. Uh, but yeah, we have a lot to talk about. Uh, so speaking of, do we want to just jump into it? Yeah. Yeah, let's go. All right. Uh, so X Factor, there's a bit of history I'm going to go for. Uh, but to start us off, uh, this is X X Factor number one, sweet number one, prelude, Aurora Moratorium. This was originally released back in July of 2020 and is written by Leah Williams. Uh, she is a newer writer uh, that has written stories for Marvel, such as The Amazing Mary Jane, Gwenpool Strikes Back, and a couple of other one-offs. Uh, but she didn't have that many writing credits uh, when she started out here with X-Factor. Uh, but uh, speaking to Polygon back in January of 2020, uh, she said she originally pitched this as a detective story about missing and dead mutants, uh, while also wanting to showcase the five more and how they work together, as well as the resurrection protocols, and how they craft all of that together. Uh, she was really interested in showing that dynamic and what comes from it, uh, as well as a new dynamic that we have touched on a bit, just all of us talking about Krakoa, in which what happens when a mutant is married to a human, and what kind of problems might arise from that. She also really wants to focus on that as well. It's a good pitch. Yeah, I like it. I, I like yeah. it too. Kind of having a somewhat of a low-level theme, not like as strategically important as some of the others we've seen, and then showcasing more of the five. I think that's cool. I also think I for a second I thought you were going to like go into something about the relationship between the five and the rest of the myth, like the whole resurrection thing that they're tied into. Uh, but I, I guess that's more incidental and not part of the original pitch. Uh, but yeah, I, I really liked all of the stuff that is like exposed here. Yeah, me too. Uh, this was... Uh, it's stuff that I actually... I don't think I would have thought about as much. But like, as they kind of touched on it in the issue, I'm like, yeah, that, that makes sense to be like, you know, issues that have cropped up around this stuff. Um, and yeah, I thought it was pretty cool to get to yeah. explore I also really like the characters. I you know I barely know any of these people in the cover. Yeah, they're cool. 
Yeah, uh, same for me when I first read this. Uh, the vast majority of these characters were very new to me. Uh, I always kind of knew about North Star, uh, who are going to see in the open with his husband, uh, because he is the big deal of being the first um, same-sex marriage in mainstream comics. So that would be Marvel or DC. Hmm. Uh, but for the others, uh, yeah, no, not so much. Didn't really know much about them. I mean, we have seen Polaris a little bit as she pops up here and there. We saw Dakin once. And, of course, we've seen Rachel Summers. Uh, but for the others, no, not really. Yeah, uh, they've all been, like, around and have had their kind of time as, like, prominent mutants. But never, like, I don't think, like, a huge deal. Polaris was actually in the original, like, Stan Lee run of X-Men, like, back in the 60s. Oh, wow. So she's very old. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Uh, so before we jump straight into this, uh, because we are going to be jumping straight into North Star uh, with his husband, uh, I actually did want to bring up that X Factor, this run, uh, was nominated for a Glad Media Award for Outstanding Comic Book uh, in 2021. Uh, if you don't know what Glad is, it is the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. Uh, it is a monitoring group that covers positive LGBTQ plus rep in American media. So this ranges from movies, TV shows to comics. Um, and X Factor, like I said, did get nominated. Uh, it did not win for that year. Uh, surprisingly, it was Empire, which we're going to be reading next episode. Uh, so we're going to continue that. Uh, but I bring this up because as we are going to be reading this comic... Uh, it is very unabashedly gay. It is very open about it and everybody's relationships. Uh, Leah Williams herself is openly bisexual and talks about it quite a lot. Uh, Marvel has done a Pride comic for the last few years during Pride Month, uh, where she has written about her experiences as well as some of these characters that we see here in X-Factor uh, and how much the X-Men mean to her specifically. You know, we've touched a lot on the X-Men standing in for uh, minorities in society, and LGBTQ uh, has always been a very, very main topic for the X-Men, at least in the background. Uh, because, as I was looking into this and reading everything, uh, Marvel was actually not allowed to have openly gay characters until 1989. Uh, that was because the Comics Code Authority, uh, that kind of gave the green light to comic books, uh, did not allow it until it was revised. Uh, and three years after it was revised in 1989 is when North Star finally came out as gay. And that was a big deal at the time because he had been hinted at it, but it was never confirmed until that point and they were actually legally allowed to. Uh, also... As I was looking into this, I found out that it took another 20 years before the first same-sex marriage appeared in either Marvel or DC Comics. And that was North Star's uh, marriage to his husband, Kyle, that we're going to see in the opening. Uh, and I find that very shocking. You know, I know uh, hindsight with time and everything, but 2012 is not that long ago. You know, that was 12 years ago. And, you know, during 2012, that was when the Wii U came out or the PlayStation Vita came out. Dark Knight Rises, the movie, was out. You know, it wasn't that long ago that it took that long for a open same-sex relationship 
to be put on the main cover and be a main event for these big comic titans. So, you know, I want to say all of this for X Factor because it is going to be very openly queer about its identity. And I feel like that is very, very important to highlight and talk about because it is still so new, you know. It, we kind of have the benefit now where queer characters in media are a lot more prominent and a lot more accepted, but that's still much more of a relatively newer thing. That's not something that has been around for that long. And I think when it does come up, especially so positively as it's going to here, it should be something that is called out and celebrated for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. I, I was just, as you were just talking, I was just looking up um, what one of the first uh, kind of media products with openly gay characters that I watched uh, might have been. And I was looking up where uh, when The Legend of Korra aired, mm-hmm. it was 2012 to 2014. So that lines up perfectly. Kind of like, uh, you know, breaking... It's not a perfect, it's not perfect representation, but it's something. And, uh, you know, out of that is where we get stuff like uh, Kipo and uh, Chira and, and, you know, characters like those. Yeah, it, it it's kind of nuts. Like, it almost doesn't feel like that's when it started. But, yeah, I, I guess, like, the mid-2010s is when that started becoming more of, like, a, a thing that people weren't as scared to touch on. Yeah, yeah. at least in, you know bigger media productions, you know. Yeah. Like having grown up having grown up online, I saw that a lot more before the 2010s. Right. But it was always like fan art or fan projects or fan fiction, you know. It wasn't a big company, you know, coming in and being like, "All right, here is this gay character and they're in the movie," you know. Right. Yeah, like that that's a very recent development. Like even now I feel like you don't really see like many gay characters in like mainstream Marvel movies. No, Disney still has a pretty significant problem when it comes to that. Uh, you know, there's that one in, gosh, Avengers Endgame, I think it was, where they were hyping up that they had a, a gay character in the movie and it was maybe a three-minute scene, I think. Uh, it, th- it was, three minutes is generous. Uh, I was about to say. Uh, it's, like, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, not, it's not great, you know. So while there have been a lot of positive steps forward, there's still a lot of work to be done. Right. Yeah. So, but all of that background aside, we're going to jump into X-Factor here. uh, As we see North Star realizing uh, in his home that his sister has mysteriously died. Also, just uh, a little background. uh, North Star and Aurora uh, are not really traditionally X-Men as much as they are traditionally in Alpha Flight characters, which is like a Canadian Avengers-style team that had a, uh, a a decent amount of mutants on it. They were always kind of X-Men adjacent, weirdly enough. But yeah, that, mm. that's kind of where they come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we've had Alpha Flight pop up here and there. But yeah, no, mainly they were in Canada, you know, working with that team. But they showed up every now and again uh, to just go over their powers. Of uh, For North Star, he has superhuman speed, flight, and can generate light, although he doesn't do that very often. Uh, his sister has pretty similar powers as well. Uh, she has superhuman speed and flight. And, you know, they've been very, very close their entire lives. So we can see very quickly that this is not going to go well for North Star. Yeah. 
so we cut to the hatchery uh, where Hope is watching a very large group of mutants uh, leave gifts for the five as well as put up missing person signs. Uh, it looks like here if you do have a loved one or a friend that is missing or dead, you can add their name to the queue and hope that the five will bring them back soon. I, I think this image of the girl leaving this tablet with like uh, a portrait, like an like a portrait inscripted in the tablet, is uh, evocative to a point that we haven't really seen ever in Krakoa. Yes. Yes, I. I, I don't think I don't think there's anything in the level of this single panel that shows like a cultural practice that I think is cool uh, and that ties into one of Krakoa's like unique things that it has going for it. I think this is very cool. Like if this is the cue and uh, this is the way that it kind of manifests, I, I think it's super interesting. I, I really like this. I, I really like how it looks. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is really cool. Uh... It, just to kind of describe it a little bit, it's a we get a it's an overview of a bunch of people standing around a tree, and we have a it, it seems like kind of like a smaller uh, girl is like hanging up a like inscribed thing with like a missing person on it onto the tree with like a bunch of other things around it that you know are similar with like a scribed uh, inscribed like tablets with like missing people on it, and yeah that that's neat that's very unique cultural wise. And that they're they're like hovering in the air, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. There, there's something keeping them up. And uh, looking closely at the one that she's putting up, it looks like it says "dead for 45 years." Uh, so whoever she is putting up there has been gone for a while. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah no, a very very fantastic. interesting look at the cultural practices here. I would say it kind of evokes for me the same of when Storm is reintroducing uh, reborn mutants to others, but this one is in a much more subtler way without the, you know, pomp and circumstance of what she was doing. It also seems, like, very somber. Like, it, it's, it, it, it reads to me like a gathering of people that, like, are kind of in mourning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, Northstar uh, skips that whole thing and just flies up to the five. Yes, and interesting, you know, now that you say this kind of gives you a somber atmosphere, it makes what Goldball says to Hope that much more. Uh, pl like, please, off please, uh, please don't disrespect my man, Egg. Egg, sorry, Egg. <laughs> um, where he he asks Hope if she ever thought about the fact that she is the resurrection special sauce, and. You know, th this is where the clash is going to start as North Star comes in demanding that his sister be brought back and Hope fires back that, one, you can't cut in the line. Two, do you have any proof she's dead? Uh, and three, there's a process for this and you kind of need to follow it. Not a very effective one. Yeah, no. It, yeah, it, it's a process, but yeah, it's messy. But yeah, it's like these are people that have lost their loved ones and like they're, you know, they're they're trying to get them back. This is like pretty much their only way. They need to see proof before someone is brought back to life. And North Star is basically just up here kind of disrespecting that. Uh-huh. Can't have duplicates running around. Yeah. Yeah. No, a, a good thing to watch out for. Uh, but clearly they don't have a system for this. So they say, well, go ask Sage for some help. 
Uh, we then see North Star go over to Sage, where she bemoans the fact that a lot of people are coming to her for knowledge on where mutants are. You know, this is in reference to X-Force when this has happened, new mutants when this has happened. Uh, she's kind of getting bugged a lot for this. Yeah, and like also just as like very clearly is like we monitor transit. Like I can tell you when someone like left, but we're not like keeping an eye on them like once they're out of here. To be fair, this is like 90% of what women at a computer in a media property do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just track people. Uh, but yeah, she says, um, well, uh, Aurora left the Green Lagoon about five days ago. She went out in Vancouver. That's where she probably has last been seen. And uh, Northstar's off again. Yep. And this yep. time he heads over to the Green Lagoon Tiki Bar. Uh, where he goes and asks Blob, not Glob, what he recalls of his sister being there. Uh, He unfortunately doesn't remember much, uh, so Northstar tries something else uh, before being cut off by Polaris, who very bluntly says he's doing it all wrong. Yeah, and also just like, I I think this is a very good setup here, just kind of for what we end up into. Uh, Northstar just kind of going around to all the things that, you know, should be able to help him find his sister and just running into roadblock after roadblock shows like, yeah, we we are missing a system in place that could help, like, Mm -hmm. solve this. There isn't a clear system in place to help when you have cases like this arise. Yeah, I want to highlight also, like, I really appreciate the economy of pages in this. Like, we're eight pages into a... 30 something like 40 pages long issue. This is number one, so it's a little longer than the usual. Um, and we got a single page for the Sage uh, stuff, a single page for the Green Lagoon. Um, it's all feeling so snappy. Yeah. I, I was impressed uh, when Chris said this was one of Leah Williams' like first works because this is really confident. Uh, this exudes a confidence that I don't think is usual in in other number ones. Yeah. I I think, um, also I just want to shout out to, I think Northstar's power is used very effectively here and just kind of helps it with that zippy feeling. Yeah. Like, I like how almost every scene is entered by him just zipping in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I fully agree. Especially as we've seen other comics not be able to, you know, keep page economy that well. But here so far, we have a reason for X-Force or X-Factor to exist. I'm going to keep doing that a lot. Uh, For X-Factor to exist, why it should be here, and now we're going to start pulling together a team. And, you know, like Sergio just said, eight pages in. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Also, I uh, I like Polaris's look here. Uh, I like this this beanie look like a lot. Same, uh, but I'm also a big fan of Aviator Sunglasses, so yeah. she wins points automatically. Mm. The, it, just to kind of describe it, it's like an all-black look with just like a black beanie and black aviators on. Just like really assudes just drinking in a bar at like... The way the way she's shaded just before she's revealed, I thought for a second we were going to see Mystique again. Yeah. Because she's shaded in like blue. Ooh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, but we get, like, I believe one of our only data, or, no, no, it's not our only data page, but it's, uh, an ad for X-Factor, which doesn't quite exist yet, but it kind of gives you, like, a little preview on where this is all going. Also deviates quite a bit from the usual data page, in that it's not, like, surrounded by the glyphs and 
like the page format that is usually but these are usually enclosed within it's just a it's just like a photocopy yeah mm-hmm. it, it like looks like something mm-hmm. you would like find posted up on a tree somewhere on the island yeah exactly yeah uh, so the oh uh, before wait wait before we leave the Green Lagoon Tiki Bar, um, Tim, you you got some of those mugs uh, for Christmas. Oh yeah, I I did. They're they're great. Um, I don't know. I think they're more like can holders than actual mugs. Can holders. Okay. But yeah. um, like I I like them a lot. I don't know how much drinking I'm gonna do out of them, but like I I got them set up in my room. Like they they look awesome. I got the Apocalypse and the Sentinel one. Uh, nice. I, I just Incredible. I felt like those were the most appropriate. Yeah, those ones are very very cool. Yeah, yeah. All right, we can move on. Yeah. All right. Uh, so last thing on this data page, uh, the only really new thing here um, is apparently that X Factor is going to be located in the Boneyard, which we will see later. Uh, and also, you can use something called a Fleet Seed. Uh, to whisper your message into the shell, and apparently this will pass on your message to X-Factor for you. So that is some new plant-based technology that we have again. Yeah, I also shout out to, like, the bottom of this page. It looks like uh, it's just some text in Krakowin. I'm guessing it's just the same thing twice. Like, once it, in it English, is. once in Krakowin, and, like, I, that's a cool touch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did not translate all of it, but I did a f- enough words to be like, okay, yes, this is the same. Yeah. Yep. Also, Fleet Seed sounds like a new feature Twitter would have announced before it was acquired. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, it does. It's, yeah, it's very, very techy. <laughs> yeah, like 2022 Twitter feature. Yes, is the Fleet Seeds. In the in the <laughs> alternate timeline, that, that's a thing somewhere. Yeah. So, but we are going to be leaving the Green Lagoon, uh, as it looks like Polaris has given the elevator pitch to North Star about a task force uh, to find people who are missing and or dead. Uh, it looks like he's relatively on board, but they do need to find a group to help them out. Uh, Dakin is here drunkenly waking up on the floor and offers his services, but is very quickly turned down. Yeah, they, they, they don't even dignify it over response. They just kind of fly off and leave them there. Yeah, and uh, we are then going to get a pretty quick series of panels here, seeing our team in different spots. Uh, so just very quickly on a couple of them, uh, for Dakin, uh, he was first introduced in 2007. Uh, he is Wolverine's biological son uh, from Japan. Uh, he also has retractable claws, a healing factor, and he does have pheromone control to control other people's moods. Uh, we are going to see that in this issue. I think it's weird, but that's just me. They could have called it anything else. Uh, also, traditionally, not a good guy. Uh, he's been in like Norman Osborn's like, Dark Avengers team as uh, pretending to be Wolverine. Uh, yeah, not not always great. Yeah, very typically a villain. Uh, so his turn here, I believe, is one of the first instances of him being a quote-unquote hero. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. And he's never really been like an outright like mustache-twirling villain, if I remember right. At least not from what I've seen. It's just kind of like that. that's just where he falls more often than not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I- imagine Wolverine if he didn't have Gene or Cyclops or somebody to rein him back in. Well, imagine Wolverine with a dad that he was lashing out against. 
Yes, also that. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of mentioned Polaris, but she's been around for a while, dated uh, Havoc, been on X-Men teams for a long time, but not usually like a mainstay. Uh, she is Magneto's daughter. Mm-hmm. Oh, with the same power set. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, like I said, we're just going to get a quick introduction of a few other mutants. Uh, we have Prodigy here. He has just been resurrected as he is hatched out of an egg. Uh, he was inter- introduced in New Mutants number four in 2003. Uh, his mutant powers is that he can subconsciously use telepathy to copy any skill another person has. And in th- with that, he is also very, very smart. So if he is nearby someone, he can copy a skill they know, say, speak Japanese, and then he can do the same thing. Yeah, I believe he retains it forever. Uh, he was on um, the Young Avengers, actually, and during that time he had been depowered, but he still had access to like everything he had learned uh, while he was a mutant. Yes, he just oh, couldn't learn cool anything new. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Also, he's resurrected with no one around. Yeah, I think that's rude. Yeah. I know, poor guy. He's just kind of all by himself. Also, had uh, not died the last time he had appeared. So yeah, that's uh, that's something interesting. Yeah. So at some point hmm. there was a death. <laughs> yeah, but we don't like, know why. Was it was it in uh, what's it called? What is the arena thing? I, I am blanking on the name of it currently. Oh, oh yes, uh, the the ritual sacrifice arena. Yeah. Like maybe it was that. I, who knows? Crucible. Yeah. There crucible. We go. Crucible. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. And then we get Prestige, who we have uh, met already quite a bit. Yep. Rachel Summers here with her wonderful new pet, amazing baby. I love her. Um. This is the uh, war wolf that we see given to Rachel in Excalibur. Uh. They have both reappeared here, uh, and will be joining the team shortly. I love them. Yeah, uh, I also love them. It's it's a good introduction. It's it's the amazing baby just on a leash and Rachel just asking him to poop. <laughs> yeah, it, it's the woes of having a puppy that everybody knows. Yeah, yeah, I know that feeling. Mm-hmm. I had it a couple of hours ago. <laughs> yep, yep. Asking a duck to poop. Uh, and then our last one here is Eyeboy. Uh, he's pretty self-explanatory. He has a lot of eyes all over his body. Uh, he is actually the newest character in this group, as he was introduced in Wolverine and the X-Men in 2012. Um, his powers are not very well known. Uh, he has very, very good vision, and we're going to see shortly that his vision covers a range of visible light spectrums. Uh, he's seeing here, uh, putting googly eyes on Crocs and, like, yeah... <laughs> it's good. He, that, he knows his that's vibe. That's the vibe. Yeah, he's he's very happy about doing this as well. So yeah, just shout out. Yeah, uh, shout outs to my boy. Uh, he's also. I think the text. I think the text is pretty good, too. Yeah, because like for the first two, we kind of get introductions where they kind of consider both Rachel and Prodigy for the team, and then when we get to I Boy, it's just them talking. Like, can you think of like anybody else useful? And they're like, no. <laughs> nah. Yeah. Seems like a good team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so our uh, North Star, Polaris, uh, Prodigy, and uh, Prestige are all gathered by the gate. Mm-hmm. They are getting ready to go uh, when Polaris posts on Muties Unmuted to see who else might be interested in the team. Uh, this is 
kind of how Dakin walks up as she is posting this and sort of forces his way onto the team. Yeah, uh, Northstar really does not want him here. Uh, no, it seems like most don't want him here. Uh, however, he is a out-and-out flirt and will not stop flirting with anybody. But he also does kind of know what to do. You know, he is a known killer. He can defend these people and also just kind of seems interested in doing something. Also, if you didn't know, uh, him and Prodigy are bi because they, they just say it here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, remember when I said this uh, This book is very openly and proud about being queer? This is the start, and it's great. Yeah, like, they're, they're just like, yeah, it's a, it's a thing. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a good introduction. They they are questioning what he would bring to the team. They say they don't really need an enforcer, and he's like, I got pheromones. I could, I could do other stuff. Mm-hmm, and we see him use it on this uh, small mutant child who does not want to go see his grandma um, and Dakin makes him calm down and finally agree with his mother. And Rachel pipes in that uh, the child is a psychopath, just so the mother should know. Because apparently the child was very loudly thinking of kicking Amazing Baby. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he's like really agreeing with his mother, but he does calm down to uh, plainly expressly say that he hates his grandma. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. This this is it's funny. It's like kind of a nothing scene, but I like how it just like it doesn't quite play how how you expect it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have Dakin being the one to de-escalate the situation, and Rachel is the one to cause cause more of a problem if this was a different mutant. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, and like even with the kid, it's like you expect him to calm down and being like, "Okay, I'll go," but he's just like, "No, I hate grandma." Like. <laughs> So after this, this newly assembled team heads through the gate uh, as iBoy runs after them, running into Prodigy, and we now have the team here of X-Factor. Yeah, uh, fun fun yeah. little dynamic, just immediately. Like, I, this whole exchange of iBoy saying, sorry, I'm late, Dakin saying no one cares, and Polaris telling him to shut up is just like, yeah, that's, that's good. It's very snappy. It happens in, like, one panel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You get you get a lot of fun little character bits uh, throughout this entire comic like that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, um, Prodigy says, "Hey, I think she is on social media," and they track her down to one of her last known locations was a motel. Yeah, uh, outside, outside of Washington. Yeah, outside Bellington, Bellingham, Washington. Seems I don't know where that yeah, is. Bellingham. Yeah, I also don't know where that is. I would assume middle of nowhere uh, near Canada. So, but we get a fun showcase of how everybody's powers here are going to work in solving a murder investigation as North Star zips through the room. Uh, Dakin says that the room doesn't smell very good, but nothing really pops up. And Prodigy is just kind of taking a look through everything. Uh, he noticed that this hotel room was prepaid and, you know, they, they start putting things together. Yeah, uh, just... In general, like, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but I think this little scene here, or just, like, the investigation in general is a really good showcase for all their powers. Like, you, I, I think you get, like, a really good sense of, like, how well these all contribute to, like, an investigation. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Uh, because even though Dakin is going to go off by himself uh, to talk to the clerk at the front counter, 
Uh, he is going to use his pheromone powers to seduce him and get more information, especially that Aurora was seeing someone and that she seems to might have had a thing for whoever she was seeing. So he got some information there. Uh, we see Rachel Summers uh, use her often forgotten chrono skimming powers. Uh, essentially, she can look through time over a location and saw, see what happened there, but she needs a focus so she doesn't have to go through the entire history of the place. She's got like the fully upgraded version of Batman's like detective view in the video game. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like she's gone through the entire tech tree. She can just yeah, we, we've, know, see the full video. We, we specked out in that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's good stuff. Um, it's mostly her, you know, explaining how it works. Uh, but she does find a hairbrush that Aurora used and has Amazing Baby smell it so that they can track where she went. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're we're off there. Uh, Dakin, meanwhile, is still flirting. Um, but yeah, he does manage to get like the information out of this guy that like it it, it seems like she was seeing someone here. Uh, Warwolf or Amazing Baby is kind of marching off, and Dakin goes to join him. Mm -hmm. uh, and Amazing Baby leads them to a massive bridge overlooking a river far down below, and they learn that the trail ends at a broken side railing, and it looks like she may have gone over into the river below. And this is where we get to see iBoy show off his powers, because he can see everything in the river, including all of the different cars that are down there. Oh, yeah, there's a lot... <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's... I think this was really funny. Yeah. I, I think this is really good. It's It kind of turns this rather... This isn't, like, lighthearted, you know? It, it's been amusing and fun. But then we get iBoy looking down and being like, yep, a lot of people have died here. Yeah, it, I feel like it gets darker the longer it goes. Like, at first, it, it yeah, like, it, it, it's initially like, yeah, that's a funny joke. And then, like, as they're kind of just lifting up the five SUVs and then North Star's like, okay, I'll go search and they're like, uh maybe, maybe don't, man. Yeah, and and that's from Dakin as well, you know, the one North Star really did not want to come along. Uh Dakin pretty quickly, you know, shows that he is here for them. Yeah. Uh, despite his history of being a villain. He actually does care about what's going on. Yeah. So yeah, they they end up finding one with a matching plates, and Aurora's body is inside this car. Yep, mystery solved. Yep, yep. mystery solved. We found her, uh, and seconds later, North Star takes his sister's body and throws it in the middle of the five, and is like, "Here's your proof. Can you bring her back now?" Yeah. Uh, Hope uh, ask how. Uh, North Star is very upset about this. Um, and they're just saying like, Hey, we, we need to know, like, we, we can still bring her back, but it like, it helps if we know, because like, if this is foul play, like that's Krakow is going to want to know about that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is honestly a really good call, uh, especially seeing as all the other villainous groups that we've seen against mutants, it would be good to know if this is, you know, Orcus or some anti-mutant cult or whatever is going on. Right. Yeah. I, I like how this little clash stems out of uh, how single-minded he is about getting her sister resurrected, uh, because it feels 
to him like she's asking him to fill out a form yeah with details that are unimportant uh, but she's actually concerned about something else she's asking out of genuine curiosity or concern and and he thinks this is more bureaucracy yeah like it's it, it's a complete just misunderstanding here but it like it makes sense for northstar to react this way and yeah yes. like the, the whole thing feels very like in touch with like what the emotions of these characters would be here. And that's really good. Uh, I, I also really like the scene here where the rest of X factor shows up and they just kind of immediately kind of rush to comfort North star and just like, you know, to help out with this, just kind of just everything going on here. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I fully agree with that. It's just very good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they, um, they, they did manage to get some more information out of the scene. Yep, and in a fun little thing, uh, and we see Polaris here uh, bring out her phone because they do believe that this should be taken to the Quiet Council. So she texts her dad, uh, which I find it very funny, the idea of Magneto trying to text somebody because in my brain, he's not very good at it. Yeah, yeah, He could probably yeah. do it in his brain. Yeah. Like, he just... probably could, but I also see him, you know, capitalizing every single letter and just sending it that way, or even sending it with a, like, from Magneto. Yeah, I, I can see that. But I bet he has, like, a system. You know, he... I'm sure he could create a machine that he can manipulate remotely so that he can only, like, think of what to send, and it will send. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Without having to actually, like, carry around the phone. Yeah, because, like, I, I almost, like, I buy that more than Magneto, like, carrying around a phone. But, yeah, I agree. The, the idea of Magneto using a phone is very, very funny. Um... Yeah, uh, Dakin kind of gets a little bit hostile here. Um, Northstar asks, like, what he's doing with Aurora's body, and he, Dakin is just like, hey, well, I'm taking her to the healing gardens. Like, we, an autopsy could, like, be useful here. And just kind of, like, throws it in his face, like, we're not your enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Yeah. Which, frankly, Northstar kind of needed at that moment, you know? Like Sergio said, yes, this makes sense for him to respond this way because he does want his sister back, but he does need to step back. You know, Krakoa, at least with this group in this instance, really is coming together for everybody here. They're not all on opposite sides. Yeah, and I I think it kind of just helps, like, kind of, uh, it it gives a clearer picture to what the bonds of, like, this little group are going to look like, which I think works a lot, too. Like, Dakin is very much making it a point to, like, I I don't want to, like, fight with you like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on your side here and I think that's kind of neat uh but yeah uh now we are in the grove and we are meeting with the quiet council only two hours later yeah yeah that's really effective yeah Pol- polaris for, got for some an impromptu uh, session goes polaris got some turnaround time i mean uh-huh. hey you know help helps having your dad on the council I yeah suppose. The, the nepotism pays off sometimes i guess yep yeah uh so do you think do you think kate could have assembled the Quiet Council within two hours? I don't know, actually. Maybe not with, like, something... Like, maybe... I I think the importance of it probably helped quite a bit. But, yeah, I, I feel like Kate probably would not have the same sway as Magneto. I don't think there's a lot of people in the Quiet Council that get a message uh, that's like, hey, we're assembling, someone died. And, like run to to attend yeah everyone dies all the time yeah like you think mr sinister like would want to show up for this or like sebastian yeah no no i think i even think some of the like initial presentation they do for the council 
would be badly received because like what did they care? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, they like care all that much about like the car stats or what have you. Yeah, like uh, I I can imagine Apocalypse just looking at this and being like this means nothing to me. Yeah, yeah. No, he'd be like, well, she died. Yeah. She was clearly not strong enough to live. What's the problem? This is this is like the president's staff assembling at the like president's meeting room. Yeah. About a civilian's death. But yeah, they they got it going. But yeah, so they uh they they talk about just the surveillance in general, how this is somebody named uh somebody's name's uh, this guy's named Eddie. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was his car that they pulled out of the water, uh, and the brake lines of this car were cut. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, they also found some carbon steel caltrops in the tires, um, and they can pretty clearly tell that this was sabotaged to make sure that the car veered off the side of the road. Uh, but the weird thing is, is that uh, Aurora was the one driving the car. Uh, so she was the one that drove it off the road. And unfortunately, they can't ask Eddie what happened because he also died. Uh, he was not in the car. He was actually on the side of the road, somehow knowing that Aurora was going to be there at that moment and that this was going to happen to the car. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I I like the little touch here of when Polaris is explaining, is explaining it. Uh, they... She mentions that they got the idea from Dakin to check for the, like the brake fluid, and you just get a scene of Dakin just sitting up on like a bench and says like "You're welcome" as North Star just like just just doesn't say anything, but clearly like understands. Uh, He's here to help. Yeah, yeah. So we learn a little bit more about Eddie. Uh, is that their best guess is that he did have some anti-mutant uh, terrorist militia. Um, leans early on in his life and it might have just continued here but they're not 100% sure uh however they do feel like because this is a problem because there is a line that is growing mutants are being brought back but are also dying every day and if you do need proof of death there's going to be a lot of people who need that proof so they move to make x-factor investigations an official body uh, and the five second this, uh, agreeing with everything that I just said. Yeah, yeah. just very quickly. Um, I want to say I really love Eddie's accidental death. Um, I think he's a Coen Brothers ass character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that we do not get to see for a second, but he's like fascinating as a character concept. I love. Yeah, him. like I I love how he like got himself killed because he wasn't planning for like the weather to be as bad as it was. Uh-huh. Yeah, like that's it's like a. Character from a fiasco game that rolled back. <laughs> yes, 100%. Uh, yeah, that's a good touch. Um, I like the five here, just immediately jumping to be like, yeah, no, that's that. this is something we need. This was very, very useful. Uh, like, it, it really feels like it was just kind of like a matter of being, like, it reminds me of, like, you're trying to get something done and can't figure out the right person to talk to. And it feels like we've, we've recognized that's an issue and want to close that loop. Yep. The throughout this whole issue, the five seem to me like extremely out of their depth. Like they're incredibly overwhelmed. All they can do is resurrect people, but they have absolutely no like nuance to the actual logistics of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they, they're extremely, 
uh, Eno Burner heads. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think the characterization of them, I, I really like it here because it does like seem like they do care about this stuff and want it done as efficiently as possible. But yeah, they're just kind of doing what they're told and just like just doing it in the order they can. Uh-huh. Uh but yeah, um everyone agrees it, it this seems like a good idea. Yep. Cyber six ass looking uh Xavier does agree. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh and then we get a little bit more from the five here of why this is a good idea, like we've just discussed. And there are no mm-hmm. objections to anything. Uh, and it is automatically assumed that Polaris is going to lead this team, but she actually turns it down and nominates Northstar to be the leader of the new X-Factor. Yeah. Um, Magneto isn't happy about this. I, I don't know if I would say not happy, he's disappointed. Yeah. He, very much a disappointed dad, uh, because we're going to get a scene here of him talking to his daughter and asking why she turned down this great chance of leadership. And she says because she doesn't know who she is. You know, she asked this with a question of, Father, if you had to describe my personality, what would you say? And he doesn't say anything, which is pretty damning. Yeah. So she clearly wants to figure out who she is before she is thrust into a role of leadership. Yeah, so she flies off. Magneto asks her if she's going to come by for tea, and she says yeah, and we're done with that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I, I kind of like this next little bit here with Polaris, uh, because again, I don't really know her that much. Uh, looking into her history, she really was coerced by her father to be a villain and to follow whatever he said so she really did not have much of a time to shine on her own and this character idea for her to explore i'm actually really interested in to see where it goes um because we see here you know land and start talking to krakoa because she really doesn't know what she wants to do but she does want to make something for x-factor so she works with the island to create what we will know as the Boneyard. Yeah, there's a fun little bit of history, too, because uh, she she kind of mentions, like, yeah, we go way back, and Krakow gets kind of, like, like retreats a little bit. And, yeah, she was uh, she was on the original team of X-Men and Giant Size X- X-Men, like, in 1975. They got, like, kidnapped by Krakow. Yeah, but it looks like they're putting their past differences aside and yeah, creating we're, we're, something new for the future. We're cool now. So, yeah, she... Uh, dreams up this concept and we get it uh yep. i like how she communicates with krakua through this like cool prism crystal yeah i like it too like she's it, it, it's very it's it's a very nice little scene here mm-hmm. uh and then the rest of x factor arrives in the morning uh we get a fun follow-up to amazing baby finally pooping <laughs> finally pooping later on when rachel's like really why is it gotta be now also, uh, we, we get our first look at the Boneyard. Do we want to... How, how do we feel about this building? Ooh. It's weird. I don't know how I feel about it. I think the inside is very cool because it looks like the inside of a cell. And I'm sure there's a lot of meaning there. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it's neat. It's very uncrackable. Yeah. Yes. It, it looks like a twisted like skyscraper spine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Boneyard is an apt name. It's, it does look like bones of some kind. Yeah. Uh, also, I'm going to throw this out there. Uh, we do see Prodigy here in a shirt with Krakoan letters on it. Uh, the letters say CK, 
Uh, I have asked Tim. I've asked a friend of ours who knows Prodigy more. I reached out to uh, Leia Williams. Uh, I have no idea what CK stands for, and I have not found any answer. Uh, so if you know what the his uh, CK stands for on his shirt, uh, please send us an email at uh, studyofx at gmail.com, because I really want to know what it means. Yeah. Did, uh, did Leia get back to you? She did not. Uh, it looks like she's not active on social media as much anymore. Uh, yeah. She used to be active on Twitter, but seems to have jumped off about a year ago. Yeah, that's fair. What's your wild guess, though? What, what could it possibly mean? Oh, man. That's just it. I'm not sure. Uh, I know Prodigy has some family, but CK doesn't line up with anybody. It might be a reference to maybe an artist or an author that worked with Prodigy at some point in the past. It really could be a lot of things. I feel like it's more of a nod towards fans than it is anything in-universe. I'm gonna say it means Chicken King. Okay, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it says. Okay, we're gonna go with that for now. Until proven otherwise, he is the Chicken King. Chicken King. It's hmm. fair. Uh, so, But we do enter inside, uh, and like I said, it looks like a cell. Uh, we've got a lot of fun, ribbony lines on the ceiling. Uh, the place seems pretty big. Uh, there's possibly a pool. It might be the bathroom. Unclear. Uh, Rachel takes dibs on the entire basement. And later on, uh, during that night, we have a bit of a homecoming party for everybody. Yeah, I... Um... I also just want to say I really enjoy the scene here of uh, Forge and Sage uh, setting up, like, you know, the, the X-Factor system, like they are um, the internet guys coming to set up your internet. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yes, it's it's very fun. Uh, to summarize it, uh, basically, they are going to set up a system between Sage's uh, transit monitoring, Cerebro, and Krakoa itself to show a list of people who have not been seen or scanned by Cerebro in a certain amount of time. I can't remember what it was. I think it's like a month? Yeah. Yeah, for a month. And if they have not been seen or scanned within a month, then X-Factor will get an alert about them so they can then look into where that person is. Yeah, and you can also just, like, you know, let X-Factor know if someone's missing and they'll look into it that way as well. And there's mm -hmm. different means to do that. Uh, so, uh, interestingly enough, uh, we've, I think the only other human we've seen on Krakoa, uh, was Forge's, uh, old scientist friend that was brought there, uh, but also Northstar's husband is here, uh, and Northstar does cut off Dakin from speaking to him, which is probably the correct move. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, but fun little scene, uh, and the five come in to give them a housewarming gift, they have given them a bagel plant, uh, which I also really wish I had, because that sounds awesome. That does sound very good. But, uh, so, yeah. but at the same time, the new system is activated, and all of these pink-purple little bubbles appear, and these are all of the cases of mutants who have disappeared and have not been seen for some time. And it looks like X-Factor has a lot of work to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like this as a little reflection of uh earlier's like tablets that were floating up the tree yeah yeah it's it's a fun little callback and also shows just you know how much work they really do have to do there's a lot that was not covered there was something we skipped 
uh, earlier on where someone mentioned there were like 16.5 million mutants to be resurrected. Yes. And that's such a ridiculous number. It is. <laughs> it, it's, it's always, it was an astro, like astronomical number. But also the flip side of it is they're immortal at this point. So eventually they'll have to chip away. Yep. Yeah, we we finish off this issue with Northstar saying, "Let's get to work," and we are uh, we're, we're done. We're done, almost. Almost, uh, we yeah. We have... got one data page. Yep, rules of resurrection. Yep, we have a data page here. Uh, it's the rules of resurrection. Most of it is redacted, and we're not going to see it. Um, it's basically just the beginning rules of what they should do. You know, proof of death in the event of needing to force a protocol. You know, all of that fun stuff. Uh, we do get a couple of things shown here with, with a bit of teases. Uh, you know, there's mention of a Jane or a John Doe. So what happens if nobody knows who that mutant is? Uh, what happens to people who do not wish to be resurrected? What do you do with that? You know, feels like teases for upcoming stories in X-Factor. Yeah. And I'm assuming we're going to explore this. Uh, we'll get more of this document unredacted as we kind of go on here. But yeah, yes, that is the end. Uh, what did you both think of our first look at X Factor? Okay, I think it won't be a surprise when I say this is probably my favorite first issue in a really long time. Like out of this newest crop of uh, series that we have been starting, like Cable and uh, Hellions, and I I don't know which which other ones. Uh, X Factor easily the best one, easily by like far away. <laughs> There are ways I could get nitpicky, like the whole system of resurrection strikes me as very classist, and we see a lot of instances of that here, uh, where we know people are being resurrected, like skipping ahead in the queue. Mm -hmm. Like they still skipped ahead in the queue. Yeah. By the end, and then uh, you know just uh, Polaris being able to summon the Quiet Council within two hours also speaks to that sort of. Um, you know, class division, uh, especially with the people like mourning at the very bottom of the tree. Uh, but I still think this is a very solid first issue. I love the premise. This is probably the one series that interfaces the most with something that is unique to Krakwa, unique to a concept that we came up with for this specific setting. Um, and I really like the entire team. I, I think they're really endearing. I really like the dynamics. I really like how light-hearted it is, uh, even though the subject matter gets a little darker. I think the base is great. I think it's really well-balanced in, in terms of tone. Um, yeah, just a all-around great read. I genuinely enjoyed this. Yeah, no, you covered it perfectly. That's exactly how I feel about it, honestly. I don't know if I could add much more to what you said. I'm really excited to dive back into this. You know, it's been a while since I have reread X Factor. Uh, so I'm looking forward to see all these characters again, as well as taking a deeper look into it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a very, uh, it's a strong first issue. I think it does, like, explore more of Krakowa that I think we've, like, really explored, like, thus far. Uh, I kind of agree with Sergio in that it does feel kind of classist. Um, I, I like that they are making an organization where it is easier to kind of cut through like the bureaucracy of this all. But yeah, I don't 
like it, it it absolutely like if this was a different group of mutants that didn't like know people would they have been able to do this and like probably not mm-hmm. yeah the five sure we're not doing a thing yeah like beyond beyond being the tools for uh you know xavier's and magneto's grand scheme they really don't seem to have had much of a voice until the opportunity came around for Magneto to make a new team around his daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, but, I, yeah. I think it's telling Love that it. they immediately assumed it was going to be Polaris leading the team as well. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. But, all right, uh, do we want to get into, uh, speaking of Magneto, do we want to get into uh, Giant Size X-Men Magneto? Yeah. yeah, let's jump into that. Honestly, I feel like you could summarize this in uh, about a few sentences, but we'll go through the issue. Uh, so this is Giant Size X-Men Magneto. Uh, this was released in July of 2020, uh, written still by Jonathan Hickman, and the art is by uh, Roman Perez. Uh, so actually, uh, this book was announced originally with Ben Oliver as the artist. Uh, he is the one that did the cover that we see here. Uh, however, due to unforeseen circumstances, uh, Roman Perez took over the project and finished it. Uh, we actually don't exactly know why uh, there was an artist switch. Um, Games Radar seems to believe it was because of a uh, change due to scheduling that might have been the problem, but we don't know 100%. Uh, hmm. So the only other thing I want to mention about this is that there was an early press release about this book uh, stating that the story will have lasting effects on Krakoa and what is going to come for the future. Uh, and while I do agree with that, it's not clear right now if you're reading the story where this appears uh it's going to pretty much almost feel like a nothing story in my mind uh but it will actually have some long-lasting effects no you you don't think magneto's real estate adventure is <laughs> is like self-evident how it's going to impact Krakoa's future forever and and how he has a fun moment with namor under the sea fighting a kraken yeah i'm not sure uh-huh. Um, so, but because this is an artist showcase as well, um, Roman K. Perez is a multiple Eisner and Harvey Award-winning Canadian cartoonist, uh, that has worked on a variety of comics. He did Jim Henson's Tale of Sand, uh, Spider-Man Learning to Crawl, Wolverine and the X-Men, and a couple of more. So he is a very, uh, storied artist. Uh, and I think you can tell here uh, as we're going to go through the issue. Uh, it is a shame that Ben Oliver was not able to take over a- as he originally wanted to, uh, as it looks like, as with the other giant size X-Men, uh, Hickman left much of the story up to the artist. Uh, so, unfortunate, but that is what happens sometimes. Yeah, he did a great job. Um, Tale of Sand, also very pretty. Yeah. Uh, I like this, uh, I think, like, one of the first pages here we get is, like, an overview of, like, the island and just the ocean, and it's a a very nice-looking page. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of really good scenic shots in this comic. Um, And as we open here, we have Magneto piloting a uh, container freighter all by himself to a small island in the Mykonese Islands, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Um, Sure. Uh, This is uh, in the Faroe Islands, owned by Denmark, Uh, and as he lands on this small outcropping of land, uh, he is met by the Lighthouse Keeper, where he states that he is here to purchase the island. 
Uh, can you uh, please describe the lighthouse keeper? Um, picture a lighthouse keeper in your mind. Give him a uh, red hair and a red beard, and that's a lighthouse keeper. Yep, yep, yeah. They they just this is the most lighthouse keeper looking lighthouse keeper that I have ever seen. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Uh, but yeah, they 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 talk for a little bit. He says he wants to buy the island. Uh, lighthouse keeper says. Well, we'll see. He's a little bit eccentric, kind of hard to get a hold of. And Magneto's like, that's fine. But I called the bus. Yeah. Uh, Magneto says, yeah, he does have a reputation, and I I, I guess Magneto knows who this person is. Um, Yeah. I kind of let it slip earlier. Oops. Uh, But, yeah, we will see who this mysterious lightkeeper, or island owner, is pretty soon. Yeah. And, uh... Again, I just really the the art in here is very pretty. I I really like this panel here of just like the cargo ship or like the container ship just kind of like sitting in the water like off the coast. Like I think you really get a sense of scale. Mhm. There there's a lot of very good images here of Magneto brooding at a at the edge of a cliff in this entire thing I, and I they're very pretty. I, every I, time. I I don't even know if I would call it brooding, just dramatically standing. <laughs> that's true like, that's like, true he like, might like not even be thinking about much yeah like uh he seems to be at a pretty like good headspace for this whole issue so yeah i think he's just like posing yep i think so yeah. school of drama yeah he knows what's up uh so but it looks like in the past uh, uh magneto was invited to the white palace by emma uh where the two share a meal with each other because emma has an idea However, she's going to need an island to make it work. Oh, and I, I am so sorry not to just keep like bringing up the art, but there, when we kind of go to Krakow here, we get a shot of the island, and it's, it's one of those shots where you can kind of see like underwater as well. Uh, and I, I like that the underwater portion of Krakow is just a bunch of roots that kind of uh, lead down into the water, not like an actual island. Just a, just a neat touch. Yeah, I, I was going to bring that up, too. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we are uh, meeting the White Queen for lunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do meet her personal cook, uh, Saucier, uh, as he cooks a wonderful meal that is practically to die for. Uh, but this is where she lays out her plan and that she needs an island for it, which it looks like that's why Magneto is out here trying to purchase this one. Yeah. Uh, it's a very uh, poshy lunch that they're having here. Oh, absolutely. Like, like to the point of tacky. Uh, Emma yes. asks him to pour the wine. He lifts it up with his uh, magnetism to pour it. It's just like, yeah, that's that's the vibe. Yeah, that's these two when they're in a room together. Yeah, like just they're both dressed in white. Like it just is like it. It, it reminds me of like a rich. It's just a rich person dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, cutting back to the island, uh, the sun is beginning to set, and it is going to start to snow. So, Magneto goes about collecting some firewood and builds himself a fire, while he waits for the owner of the island to appear. Uh, the lighthouse keeper does come by and gives him a, a warm drink to keep him warm. In the meantime. Uh, I like all these birds here as well. Penguins. Yeah. Yeah, they're very cute. Mm-hmm. If you had to choose a warm drink to bring to Magneto, what would you choose? 
Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, you know what? I I, I don't know if I would go. I, I this feels like cider weather. Yeah, I was oh. either gonna go with either alcohol, maybe some kind of whiskey, or hot cider, or even coffee. Yeah, I bet it's coffee. But if I had to pick something, I'd, I'd give him some cider. Get this man some hot apple juice. Yeah. So, but Magneto continues to stand dramatically at the edge uh, of the island here and wait for the owner to appear. And he does rather dramatically as Namor uh, appears on the island and is less than pleased that he has been called here. Yeah, it's very much like a what do you want type thing. Uh, but does seem to perk up a bit when Magneto's like, yeah, I just wanted to rent this thing out. Yeah, for, for Emma, actually, for the White Queen. And and <laughs> Namor's like, Emma, you say? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's like, okay, I think we're going to melt. They shake hands, and they are off into the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a small thing here with Namor. Uh, I really like how Hickman writes Namor. He kind of gets the voice of the character pretty well. Uh, he's very arrogant, you know, thinks he is the king of everything and above everyone. And you get that from all of his dialogue. Um, I, I'm a little biased in this because I really like Hickman's um, use of him in the Illuminati, and this kind of continues that, uh, but I did want to shout that out here. Yeah. Is Namor a mutant? Yes, he is. He's, okay. uh, he is an- yeah, been on the X-Men before, like, he's he's been around, but... All right, just check. Yeah, uh, another one of those not-human mutants, uh, he is an Atlantean mutant, but that still counts if you want to be a member of the X-Men. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I think he's like, and just because of his history, I think he is technically the first mutant ever created, but he was not like envisioned as a mutant off the rip. That was kind of retconned later. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the two head underwater uh, because Namor needs some assistance. Uh, he sent a Atlantean exploratory team here into the deepest parts of the trench, and they have not been seen or heard from ever since. So they need to figure out what exactly happened to them. And that leads them to the very bottom, where there is a massive spiral seal of the old kings of Atlantis. Yep. Um, he asked Magneto if he can open it. Magneto says, yeah, sure, they do. And uh, they're greeted by a kraken. I mean, what else? Did yeah, you yeah. Like, I mean, like, obviously, of course, it's a kraken. Mm-hmm. Uh, Namor even comments like, yeah, yeah, this makes sense. Like. <laughs> Uh, yep. But yeah, the the battle rages. We get a, a couple pages of them dodging around tentacles and trying not to die, and they get eaten by this thing in its large beak. Yep. Uh, Namor, despite uh-huh. being the king of the seas, cannot control this creature. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we get a get a little banter. Magneto says this is going well, and they just they swim down into the stomach and find some uh, octopus ladies, squid ladies. Yep. I don't know. Squid ladies? Sirens, I believe uh, he calls them at one point. Yeah. So I think squid ladies may be trademarked by Nintendo. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's possibly true, true here. Uh, but yeah, we got three pillars, one with a glowing rock on it, and the other with like a, uh, looks like the fossil for that one Pokemon in the uh, that you, you pick up in Pokemon Blue version or whatever. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Omnimite. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what that is here. Uh, so Namor questions the sirens about where his scientists are, and uh, we very quickly learn that they have been eaten and killed, so they're gone for sure. 
but if the two heroes here want to get out, they have to pick correctly. Uh, so they must pick something from the pillar. Namor goes to the Omnimite, uh, since it does look like the symbol of the old Atlantean kings. Uh, however, it starts to try and eat his face. Yeah, always go for Kabutops. Yes. Yeah, no, this is common knowledge. It's yeah. way cooler. It's got blade hands. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, they they say, like, you can save him. Just gotta make a better choice. So Magneto goes for the rock. Uh, they seem to think that's funny. And he's like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. Crushes the rock and says he picks the empty pill. Yep. He's so above all of yeah. this. Oh, yeah. He's like, I, 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 I get this game. Like, you can't yeah, this me. is easy so yeah the sirens all kind of like dissolve into like one of them just turns into dust it seems like or two of them do and the other one just gets real old and we see a key show up in the pillar yes all the while the siren is asking if he knows what he's done and if he cares about all of what's going on and magneto responds very quickly no i do not <laughs> yeah <laughs> which to is both a, questions. A, a level of honesty that i appreciate yeah he's like this is i'm, I'm Doing a real estate adventure for a friend here, like I, I don't care. <laughs> like, just, just let me leave. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, they, uh, they put the gate back over it. I don't know if the kraken's still there. Uh, and, uh, Magneto says like, yeah. So can we get that island? And he's like, yep. It's yours. <laughs> so good trade, all in all, I would say. Fight one kraken, uh, defeat a few sirens, and you get an island and a mysterious key. Yeah. Uh, which uh -huh. he keeps. We see him tuck it into his pocket later. Also, when we get back up here, it looks like it snowed, uh, which also comes with like a really pretty visual. We kind of get like the same like overview shot before, but it just looks like it's snow covered now, and it's 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 neat. I think it's neat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is very very nice. Uh, and then we do see Magneto here now that he owns the island. Uh, finish up what Emma asked for, and he deconstructs the entire cargo ship and its cargo uh, to create this massive, I don't know if you want to call it a palace or what you want to name it, um, on one of the peaks of this island. And he plants a Krakoan gate and invites Emma through. Yeah, it's like a, it's a giant tower. There's a sentinel head on it, which I think is cool. Uh, I also think it's really cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very striking design. Like, I... I it, it feels like a space needle type deal almost. Yeah. Except like clearly designed to be more like, you know, lived in, not really like lived in, but like, you know, like have a bunch of people at. Yeah. It looks like there's several levels where people can be. There's windows on different uh, heights of it. Uh, there's a lot of plant life. It looks like too, in the middle section. So, but yeah, no, very pretty, very striking. Uh, we don't exactly know what it is used for, uh, even at the end here as Emma comes through. Uh, she agrees it'll do nicely, of course. And all she has left to do is send the invitations and see who shows up. Yeah. Oh. And yeah, that's yeah. that's the end of our little adventure. That's about it. Yep. So, as you can see, a very deep impact to the story of Krakoa. As we can all clearly see at the end of this, as we know what is coming. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, Sergio, I'm a little curious. What do you think of this story overall? Because Tim and I know what leads from this, uh, but you don't. It's fine. I think the uh, Sentinel head is a little ominous. So that's prob. If I had to guess, that's what I 
what I would be putting my attention on. Uh, but I guess that might be a red herring, I don't know. Maybe the, the key will have something to do with it. For a second I thought it was like the key to the island or something, and that's how they sealed the deal, because, he, you know, he got the key. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, who knows what's gonna happen? Looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a it's a fine story. I don't think it's anything deep or anything. It's Magneto just having a little adventure in the sea with Namor. Uh, it's it's fun enough. Um, I think it's it's an issue that is very much carried by the art, which uh, seems to be the intention with these, and I think that comes across real well. Uh, it's a very pretty yeah. pretty issue. The Kraken fight is great. Looks brilliant. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I like I like all the shots of the island. Like it's a it's a good looking issue. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fully agree. Um, I you know Tim and I both know where this is going, so it's neat to see it. But at the time when you're reading this now for the first time, it kind of leaves a lot to be desired, and I still kind of walked away from that feeling the same thing. Um, when- I'm actually. Curious to see where the key goes, because I don't remember. <laughs> I don't we, remember what happens to that key. Well, we were kind of like looking through the giant size ones, and I was kind of like thinking about all of them, like as, you know, we were planning on reading them again. I had realized that I had completely just blanked out what was even going on in this issue until I read it recently. And like now reading it again, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I get why this didn't really stick with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty, it's nice, but you know, not something I'm gonna think about for a while. Yeah. Um. Anyway, we want to head into cable. Yeah, let's yeah. jump into cable number two, the five in one. Uh, this was also released in July of 2020 and is written still by Gary Duggan. Um, uh. So, oh, go ahead. Just uh, I I want to talk about the cover real quick and much less the cover and kind of like the text. Uh, they got cable here, like written in like it looks like lightning in the sky. Um, but I think they, they got the Marvel number two thing, uh, with like the same kind of like color as the lightning. Like it, it looks almost like LED ish and, or like neon. And I, I, it's, it's cool. I like the aesthetic. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. It's, it's nice. I like it contrasted with the pink background. Actually. I think it works really well as a cover. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh, but we are going to open here uh, in a family suburban home with Stinger and Omuerta uh, as they argue about leaving and going to Krakoa. Uh, it looks like uh, uh, one of them has lost their powers um, and isn't sure about going back. Plus, you know, last time mutants got together in Genosha, they were all killed. And, you know, there's some pros and cons about going to Krakoa at the moment. Yeah, Stinger also kind of throws out that, like, you can, like, because Omuerta, I believe, is the one that has lost his powers here. And Stinger kind of throws out that, hey, you can blend in, I can't. Like, that, this makes it a lot harder for me. But this this conversation's quickly tabled when uh, she opens the door to the baby baby's room and the, uh, the baby is no longer. Dun dun dun. And you know, the Daily Bugle with J. Jonah Jameson still coming in with class as the headline reads Muty Cutie Stolen. I, I, I don't know if J. Jonah Jameson's there anymore, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he is either, but whenever I see the Daily Bugle, that's who it's, I Yeah, think. it's just, yeah, that's, that's, uh, what is that actor's name? Oh, wow. Why am I blanking on that? Because he is J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I should know this. It, it's, it's the whiplash guy. 
Yeah, it's the whiplash it's, guy. It's, it's, it's on me. J.K. Simmons. There we go. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I, I see Daily Bugle. I think J.K. Simmons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we uh, quickly go to a page after our little title page here. Um, do we do we see the name of this issue yet? Uh yes, it is the five and one. Yeah, and uh, Cable is just under a lamp in the most interrogation-looking interrogation scene, <laughs> where it seems like he is trying to interrogate the Philadelphia police in that he wants to help them find this missing baby. Uh, but they only care about whatever is going on with his eye because it's really weird and it's glowing. Yeah, no, okay. I, I, just, just to kind of get into it a little more, I, I love it. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. He's just like sitting here with a glowing eye. He's like under the lamp, and as like the scene goes on, we get like three different panels with him just looming ever closer, and then we just cut to these cops, just, just like police detective looking dudes like these these guys are in some kind of police show somewhere mm-hmm. and they, they just have no patience for this like we only took this meeting because you got a funky looking eye man mm-hmm. they're they're in the same show as our friend from the wolverine issues uh whose name i can't recall at the no, no 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 they're in the spinoff show oh they're the spinoff okay i was gonna yeah. say they're like a haul down but okay, yeah, the spinoff show. I'm guessing this is the spinoff show that doesn't last very long, maybe like a season or two. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Yes, absolutely. No, at- and it's like the greedier yeah. one. Ooh, okay. It's got a bit more meat to it. Actually, this is the original show, but the Jeff Bannister one just like ended up becoming. Off. Yeah, it's uh, like his is like the NCIS. Ooh, okay. I like that. Mm. That's a good comparison. Yeah. Wait, what's NCIS a spinoff? Oh of? God, I I don't I I I remember it was a spinoff, but I forgot exactly what it was of. Let me uh, see. It wasn't CSI, was it? No, it wasn't. Well, no, I have to look it up. Uh, Jag. Jag. Oh boy. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's spun off a of Jag. <laughs> All right. Let's continue. Yeah, yeah, I see it, but yeah, let's continue. Uh, so these cops uh basically just blow cable off telling him to stay in his lane. This is a Philadelphia police problem, and they are going to solve it. Yeah, and just, mm-hmm. you, you know, they, they don't seem like bad guys, to be honest. They even are like, yeah, we, we care about this just like everyone else. Like, who are you to, like, come in here and demand an investigation? And they just, they just kind of storm off. And, uh, yeah, we, we cut to the uh, house of the mutant baby that was kidnapped of Cable and Esme here. And Cable immediately is like, oh, yeah, the... the Seem very happy to cooperate with me. Yes. Uh, and, and to note here with Esme and uh, Cable, they're actually on a date. Uh, it looks like Cable is dating all of Emma's daughters uh, because they are the five in one. Uh, however, it looks like uh, Cable took Celeste uh, to a nice two-star Michelin restaurant. And for her date, uh, they're trying to solve a missing baby. They, they, they went to the lore of, and Yeah. Very different. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that uh-huh. stacks up in terms of dates, Cable. Yeah. Um, Esme throws some shade at the couple in general, just like who who lets their baby get stolen, and uh, then we get a little page of them just kissing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then our uh, beat cops show up, uh, ask Cable how the investigation's going, and give him a thumbs up and keep up the good work. Yeah. <laughs> there obviously no uh, telepathy involved in all of this. Yeah. 
And, uh, yeah, so Cable kind of admits he's, like, a little bit insecure here. Um, and Esme kind of, like, gives him some shit about it and just say, like, do you think we just think about you all the time? And then we get a scene of the rest of the five-in-one gathered around a crystal laughing about this date that Esme's mm-hmm. on. So Yep. Yeah. Yep. It, it, it's a fun transition of, no, we don't think about you, to all of them thinking about him and watching the date through her eyes. Yeah. Uh-huh. We, we, I, I kind of feel bad for Cable. Yeah, we, we we get one that's just like, you know, we can do something else, right? But like every you know, it's, that's kind of the vibe. Uh I I, I wanted I think we talked about it last week. I really like the art of this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've keep trying to think of how I want to describe it. It's almost soft. Yeah. The way everything is, just the way colors are blended together. Everything has this very soft look to it. And it's very nice. It, it's really nice to just look at everything here. I like it generally. I think the faces are a little more detailed than the rest of everything in a way that is a little jarring to me, but it's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it works for close-ups on the face whenever they need to, yeah. but when they are farther away, it is a little odd to look at. Uh-huh, yeah. Um. Anyway, we uh, go to the... Uh, we're, we're back at the town. Uh, Esme is saying they heard about some weird people in white robes from this other house. Yep, doing weird chants. And then a screaming baby showed up, and they all left. So. And Cable realizes this is probably the Order of X, uh, one of the weird cults that sprung up after Xavier's meshe- message. And, you know, it's kind of weird that Esme was able to get this uh, from an empty house, but it in fact was not empty because there was a good girl inside and she lets the dog go free. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, because this issue doesn't have enough going on, uh, the, um, the, the the space knights are up in the air and they have figured out where the sword is. Yes, our Galadorian knight friends are here. Uh, they have sensed that Cable has drawn the sword and immediately crash into one of the empty houses and begin to fight Cable and Esme as they demand the sword back. Oh, this is straight up, I think, the house they're in. Like, mid-investigation, these guys just come crashing through the house. Yes. Yeah. And I, I hope that's covered by insurance. I don't know if that would be a thing in the Marvel Universe, but I sure hope so. Eh, well, you know, it's like the cultist house. Like, you can kind of get Oh, bent. that's that's true. That, that yeah. one's okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we uh, a fight scene breaks down with these guys. Uh, they are they, they want the sword. Nope, Cable will not give up the sword. It's his. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Esme also has the powers of her mother and can turn into diamond, which doesn't work very well when she is blasted into Cable and the both of them are knocked out. Yeah, and uh, they they take the sword. Says, "Let's take them. We got to end up with the heck." Like, we, we got to figure out what's going on with these guys. Yeah, why why they have our cool sword? Because that's not cool. Yeah. Uh, they call them... In this fight scene, we see them refer to them as both meatbags and Terrans. So that's that's kind of the vibe we're going for here. They do not seem too impressed by the mutants and just anybody on this planet. Yep. The low-technology monkeys, as they called them. Yeah. So, and then we have probably my favorite gag of the entire comic. Yeah, so we, we get the same exact paneling for the interrogation scene, except now it's Cyclops. <laughs> uh-huh. like, like, you know, like father, like son, the two of them are clearly related to each other. 
Yeah, and he's sitting here asking about the exact same kidnapping. And we we pan out, and then it's the same two cops, and I'm pretty sure this is, like, a copy-and-pasted scene, except, like, Cyclops is just here instead of Cable. I, I think so as well, because it's the same motions, the same yeah, one like, pointing. It's great. Yeah, they're just like, yeah, yeah, the, the kid, they, 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 they mentioned that the eye thing must run in the family. Or, like, we're going to solve this case, tell them to enjoy a Philly cheesesteak and walk out the door. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, just what I think, like, really puts the bow on top of the gag are you turn the page and it's a panel of Cyclops opening and eating a cheesesteak and just, like, the word Scott as Emma walks through the door. It's it's wonderful. It, it's my favorite gag, and I still love this image of Cyclops sitting and eating in full costume a sandwich in space. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. W- one of my favorite little images that gets thrown around a lot. I, I see it a lot pa- uh, posted here and there, and it's still funny years later to me. Yeah, it's it's good. But yeah, Emma's here. She wants to talk about Cable and the five-in-one dating. Uh, yeah, and which is kind of fun because Emma walks in and begins to talk to Scott, and Scott responds telepathically because he's busy eating his Philly cheesesteak sandwich. Yeah. Um, and he's a bit shocked to learn that his son is dating all of them and is a little concerned about the fact that uh, his son is dating all of Emma's daughters. And Emma, you know, makes this very clear of, you know, make sure... Some of the girls are happy. Do not let him break their hearts, except for Esme, because apparently she needs it. Yeah, and Cyclops is like, I guess we need to have a conversation. And uh, we, we go on to a scene or a data page of email transcripts. Yep. Uh, one of it is from our cop friends. Um, and it's the first email is about the mutants stopping by and asking about them. Um, and we get a little bit more about the uh, cult of X people uh, that seem to have moved in rather recently and began throwing their, quote, pajama parties. Uh, and then a follow-up after the house gets blown up and they realize, oh, we need to get the Krakoans back, but how do we do that? Yeah, it, the, specifically, the, this email is three sentences long. It said the house got blown up. I guess we're going to need to haul those Krakoans back. Any idea on how to do that? And it's just... <laughs> Just, I don't know, just like, just that email, just following just the absolute confidence we've had from these dudes so far is just very funny. Also, uh, Molino and Di Stefano are the names of these guys, which I think are just very good cop names. Those are really good cop names. Uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty much the end of our um, plot here. Sort of? Yeah, we, we we go to some future stuff of Cable, but just, like, the, the young Cable stuff at this point is, we're, we're done for this issue. Yeah, we will see where the Galadorians have taken them next time. Uh, but for now, we get the second entry in Old Cable's uh, logbook. Uh, it seems he is making progress fighting demons, but he's really tired. In fact, he's very tired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get a few little pages here of another time and another place. Uh, old Cable has a demon on a leash taking him to his master. And after they are close, uh, Cable dispatches of the demon, crosses a ridge to see a big spire skyscraper thing 
that is obviously a trap, but he also obviously needs to go there to kill whatever demon is holed up inside. I really like the line work in this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really striking stuff. It's fun. It reminds me more of like a sketch than anything, but I think it works for this. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the end of Cable number two. I feel like it's a lot of setup, and we get like a lot of different plots kind of crossing over each other here. But like overall, like I, I like this issue like quite a bit. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I like this issue. Uh, I like all of the character interactions involved. The gags work for me. You know, of Cable and Cyclops having the same scene, and then uh, uh, Cyclops, you know, just going to get his uh, Philly cheesesteak sandwich and just eating it on his own. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it, it tickles me so much, but it just does, and I really like it. Yeah, I, I do think it gets very good jokes. Yeah. But yeah, on top of that, it's like, we're not, we don't really got like exactly, we, we don't know exactly where the plot's heading at this point, we... We got the lights of Galdor. Uh, apparently, the Order of X is, has some stuff going on. So there, there, there's a lot of moving pieces, and I'm not really sure how exactly they're going to intersect yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we won't really be doing that next time. Uh, we are no. going to take a small break. We're uh, going to do something a little bit different. Um, we are getting our first event that the X-Men kind of cross over with, with Empire. Uh, we are not going to read this whole event, but we are going to read the main event book, which will be uh, Empire Issues issues uh, 1 through 6. Yeah, so no Road to Empire, no other tie-ins, nothing like that. Uh, we are going to cover Empire X-Men specifically, uh, but that's going to be a little bit later. So yeah. just for the next episode, be aware it's going to be about Empire. And that's with a Y instead of an I. Yes, uh, E-M-P-Y-R-E. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, I know nothing about this. I'm looking forward to figuring out what it is. I'm interested. You know, I, I didn't read it when it came out. I knew what was going on and I kind of know what the plot is, but I've never actually sat down and read the entire main book. Yeah, it's also I, I think this event was pretty, pretty heavily affected by COVID. I think it was originally it was. planned to like have a bit more like a, a bit more events going on and it pretty much kind of got rebranded to just like, this is an Avengers fantastic four deal. Yeah. I'll, I'll cover that next um, episode when we get into it. But yeah, there were a significant amount of tie-ins that just never came out because of COVID. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's save it for next time then. Yeah. Yeah. No, we'll save it for next time when we talk about it. Um, so but for now, thank you for listening uh, and reading along with us. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast and are having fun uh, tagging along in this adventure, uh, please feel free to give us a review on your favorite podcasting app of choice. Uh, that would really help us uh, get out there and find more people to join in this journey with us. Uh, if you are looking to find us uh, on social media, you can find us at Study of X. Uh, this can be on Twitter, uh, also called X on Tumblr, and also on Blue Sky. Uh, and I mentioned it earlier, but if you have any questions or comments or anything like that, uh, you can send it to studyofx at gmail.com, and we might read it here on the podcast. Um, if you... I, I will personally, if you email about Chris's weird pronunciation of Omanite, <laughs> I will read your uh, email out loud. 
Yeah, please do, because I will not be allowed to, apparently, because I don't say om uh, Ammonite properly. But I can't say Kabutops, because that one's easy. Uh, but if you are looking for me on social media, you can find me on Blue Sky uh, at Sonics. That is S-A-W-N-E-E-K-S. I'm not too active on there, but I post every now and again. Uh, and Sergio, if they are looking to find you, uh, where can they locate you? Honestly, I don't know. I, I haven't been active in social media for a long time now, like outside of Instagram. And I'm not about to give out my Instagram, so... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I'm giving myself a break off of social media and it's working out fine for me. Okay, okay. That's... So go, go bother someone else. <laughs> okay, yeah. For this week, go bother somebody else if you want to talk to Sergio or bother me. That's fine, too. Uh, and Tim, uh, since uh, you might soon be uh, accompanied by Sergio in a no place, um, where would you like your messages directed to? Uh, just, um, you know, go to Philadelphia, just find a Philly cheesesteak spot. I will probably be there. Ah, okay. Okay, that is good to know. Will you eat the Philly cheesesteak in space, or are you just going to stay in Philadelphia? Uh, it just depends. Ah, okay, it depends on the mood. I understand, I understand. Yeah. Sometimes you're feeling it, sometimes you're not. Mm -hmm. I think Philly cheesesteak spot is, like, right next to the gate. Yeah, yeah, if you can... Yes! I, I think whoever planted that Krakoan seed definitely did it on purpose. Yeah. Just very quick cheesesteak access. Alright, friends. Well, until next time. Later, mutants. Later. Bye!